Well, hey, we're in the middle of a series called Find Your Life, and, and I love the title because I think it really taps into a reality that a lot of us feel. We know we have potential. I mean, that's clear, and we know God has gifted us with abilities and talents and so forth, um, but sometimes it can seem like the, the ultimate achievement that we're looking for is kind of obscured or it's kind of hidden, and so the topic that we've been approaching here is how do you find that? How do you, how do you find the, the answers that are going to take you to your best potential? And specifically, that's what we're tackling this week, head on. We're going to ask the question, how do you get ahead in life? How do you succeed? And I think there's a, a reason why this is an important question, because all of us, I think, in life, we feel a natural tension between our dreams and the boundaries, the, not boundaries, but the obstacles that are keeping us from those. You know, I mean, I could ask you, what are your top 10 things that you'd like to achieve in life? What are your top 10 dreams right now? And, and the things that come to mind, probably in your mind you're thinking about, oh man, but there's all these things that are keeping me from achieving those 10 things. There's all these things that are kind of in my way. And we're going to be talking about how to get past that. And I'll tell you why I think it's important that that should be our topic this morning. We should talk about how to get past those barriers because I, I remember going to a conference some years ago. I like music. I enjoy uh, getting to participate in the New Spring Band and, and uh, um, playing piano, keys, that sort of thing is uh, something I love to do. And uh, I was on the music staff of the last church that I was at, and uh, I went through a phase that a lot of musicians go through. Sometimes a musician goes through a phase where they decide they want to write music. Now, the grace of God generally keeps that to a short phase, right? But, but anyhow, I went through that phase, and uh, the church I was at decided they would send me to a conference for songwriters, right? They're going to send you to help you develop this craft. Nothing like getting a thousand frustrated subpar songwriters under the same roof and get them complaining to each other, but that's a whole other talk for another time. But So I go to this conference, and they tell us, here's what we're going to do to help you get ahead, right? We're going to help you clarify your goals and dreams, and we're going to help you understand why you're not getting there, right? Now, you would think, if that's what's going to help, by the time we left that conference, everybody should be amped and jazzed and ready to go out and write some great music, right? I've never seen a, a, a bigger group of depressed people on the last day of that conference, right? Because we just learned a whole lot more about what we already knew. We already knew what our dreams really were. We didn't need, need anybody to get up and, and lecture us about, you know, what success looked like. And, and we, all, we also knew what was keeping us from that. That was something that wasn't news to us either. What we were hoping for was that somebody was going to help us figure out how to get past that. And so I'm well aware. I could talk to you about how to form goals, and I could talk to you about, you know, this, the things that tend to keep us from that. But what we really need to discuss this morning is how do we get past it? How do we break through the barriers? How do we actually achieve success, right? And I think it would be kind of pointless and worthless just to listen to me give you my advice on that. We need to go to the, the real source of all useful information. We're going to go to Jesus Christ. Jesus is going to talk to us this morning about how to be successful in life. But I, I want to take a minute and just chase this rabbit trail for a second, and, and maybe I'll find out if anybody in this room can identify with this. Is it is it easy for you, like it is for me, to get just a little bit jealous of people who do have success? And I don't, I don't just mean, you know, relative success. I mean people who just have breakout success. Like they hit on something, or they discover something, or something clicks for them, and all of a sudden they have massive success. And you look at it, and I don't know if you're like me, I tend to look at it and go, well, that wasn't that hard. You know, I look at what they came up with, and I think, well, I mean, it's a good idea, but it's not brilliant, you know? I mean, Facebook. I could have come up with that, you know, or, or I'll go, I'll go look at, I'll, I'll, you know, I'm a communicator, so part of, part of being a communicator is to love writing, and so I'll, you know, I'll read authors that I'm interested in, I'll go look at the, you know, check out a, a book on the bestseller list and scroll through the pages and think to myself, 
well, you know, it's great stuff, but I could have said that, you know? And I don't know if you're like me, there's that moment where I go, what is separating me from the people who are experiencing this kind of breakout success? I mean, to, to be honest, all of us have the capacity for that. I think that's why there's something in our heart that goes, I could have come up with something like that. It may not be true, but there's a part of us on the inside that goes, I have a capacity to achieve. I have the capacity to move forward. Why is it that this person is experiencing breakout success and I'm not? So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. By the way, I don't think it's narcissistic or self-centered or shallow uh, to, to, want to, to want to break out and have success. I, I don't think it's, it's you know, a sign of our culture self-absorption that we, we want to experience significance. I think it's a sign that we want to secure for ourselves a positive future. I think in a world where futures tend to be kind of, right now, I think our futures look a little unsettled because we're in a country right now that has turnover in a lot of different areas. And so the question is, what is the future going to look like? And we want to be ahead of the curve. And so I think part of wanting to experience significance and success is just to know that we're securing a good future for ourselves. And I think that's a reasonable thing. But beyond that, I think we want to believe that we're going to make a difference in this world. There's a book out there right now that's um, been out for a while. It's called The Search for Significance. I don't know if you've read it. I've read parts of it, but frankly, the title was enough to get me interested because I think it's, it's so powerful, the idea that we're all on a search for significance in this world. We want to we leave a legacy. We want to make an impact on the world. And, and for whatever it's worth, the disciples, Jesus' disciples were in the same place. And I'm going to take you to a passage. We've just a, just a few passages that we're using this morning. We've kept the list narrow. I'm going to talk to you about what Jesus says about having success. So I want to tell you this story. In Mark 9, starting in verse 2, the Bible says six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, three guys, and I want you to pay attention. It's this specific three, Peter, James, and John, led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed, and his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. Then Elijah and Moses. Now, Elijah and Moses are, from an earthly perspective, very dead. Okay, they, From a heavenly perspective, they're alive because they never stopped living. The moment that they left this planet, they went to be with God in heaven. But from an earthly perspective, they are no more. They are dead. right? And yet they show up talking to Jesus. The Bible says Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. Now the three guys who are there, again, are Peter, James, and John. They get to witness this. And Jesus invited them. right? Now this must have been a pretty special moment. I mean, obviously it is, as we can tell what's happening. But additionally, Peter immediately speaks up and says, Jesus, it is good for us to be here. And I imagine so. I imagine it was. Now, how many disciples do we normally associate with Jesus? Twelve, right? How many are we talking about in this story? Three, right? Three guys were invited of the twelve. Do you all know what happens when you exclude people? I know you parents do. Right? You know what it's like when one kid gets a gift and the other one doesn't get a gift of equal or greater value? You know? Or one kid gets, to, gets the, the birthday party invitation and the other kid doesn't get the birthday party invitation. Or one kid gets a special privilege and the other kid doesn't get a special privilege. You know how that goes. Right? And a lot of times we're trying to balance that out because there's a sense that things are only fair if everybody gets the same amount of stuff. Right? And it, by the way, it's not just with kids. It's in the business world too. Right? Why wasn't I invited to that staff meeting? Right? I'm a part of this team. Or you know, it happens in families. Why didn't I get the graduation invitation? Everybody else got the graduation invitation. Why didn't I get the graduation invitation? Right? So this happened with the disciples. And I can't, draw an, I can't for sure draw a biblical parallel between what I just read you and what we're going to talk about right now. But I think it's there. In Mark 9.33, the Bible says, after they arrived in Capernaum and settled in a house, Jesus asked his, his disciples, all 12 guys now, what were you discussing out in the road? But they didn't answer because they had been arguing. You want to bet what they were arguing about? They were arguing about which one of them was greatest. 
Well, I can see that. Because I know how the world works. You have three people who are invited to this incredible moment, and now all of them are together, and now all of them are having a little bit of a discussion because now there's the question of position. Who's most important, right? And you got Peter, James, and John. They've been, not just the transfiguration. Peter, James, and John have gotten to do several things special with Jesus that the other guys haven't been around for. And so I can see them sort of saying, hey, you know, we're the guys who get to walk closest to Jesus, right? You guys are welcome to be here, but little farther back if you don't mind right we're, we're jesus official bodyguards they might have even had some sort of name or a brand maybe get a special t-shirt we we're part of the big three or something you know that says hey we are the the leadership team that's behind jesus right and then there's the other nine guys and so they're kind of communicating that to the other nine guys and the other nine guys are telling them you have got this all wrong now, you think jesus has invited you to these special things because you're special you're not special your remedial students. Jesus thinks that you need extra training, you need extra help, right? You need time outside of class. And so while we get to just hang out and do whatever, he has engaged you in learning extra stuff because you guys have that much farther to, to move along, right? So you've got this infighting between the guys. And by the way, it's easy for us to poke fun at this, and pastors have done this for a long time, said you know how petty it was that they're arguing about this. But truthfully, you have to look at it from their point of view. They think that Jesus is going to come in and set up a kingdom right now. They think he's going to come in and he's going to take over leading the world, and they are going to be his cabinet. I mean, from a political perspective that we're used to thinking of, it's like Jesus is going to be the new president, and these guys are all expecting some sort of political appointment towards the top of the administration. So somebody's going to be the vice president, somebody's going to be the secretary of state. The issue is just that Jesus hasn't made those announcements yet. They're waiting for the official press releases just as much as anybody else. They want to know what's their job, what's their position, what do they get to manage, right? But they have some hopes and some dreams and some thoughts about what they may get to do, and so that's where the bickering is coming from, which, by the way, I hope you'll afford me the opportunity to chase this rabbit trail just for a second, because I think it's important. Now, it's not something we deal with here at New Spring, but I think it's important to mention. Jesus' mission on earth, the Bible tells us, was to seek and to save that which was lost. That, what that means is that when Jesus came into this earth, he was, on a seek, he was on a seek and rescue mission. He was here to fulfill the purpose that God had for him to die on the cross and to provide eternal, uh, an eternal future for each of us. It was a pretty big deal. And on earth, he was... He, he was going about the work of the ministry that has given us the gospels that we look at and we see, okay, now we can know the person and work of who Jesus is. It's a very important thing. And the 12 disciples were the guys that had voluntarily, after Jesus had, had called them, they voluntarily agreed to support him in that ministry. They voluntarily agreed to be part of that. But right now, they are actually causing things to come to a little bit of a standstill. And we don't deal with this at New Spring, but I got to tell you, there's nothing that, that, that grieves my heart more than, than to realize that God is about going, God is still, about, is still going about the work of seeking and saving that which is lost. And sometimes within church life or within the Christian life, there can be so much bickering and infighting and people upset with each other over little minutia and stuff that doesn't really matter that it actually causes the work of God to come to a standstill, not because God is inactive, but because his people are too busy arguing with each other. And there comes a point in time where God has to say, hey, enough. We're going to settle this right now. It's exactly what Jesus did with the disciples. Check it out. He sat down, called the 12 disciples over to him and said, whoever wants to be first must. Whoever wants to be first must. There's a couple things before we even get to the actual instructions that he gives. One is, can we just notice that he did not say it is wrong to want to get ahead? Can we notice that he didn't say it's wrong to want to be first? Because there is a religious tradition that sort of encourages that line of thought. Jesus, on the other hand, he said, no, I'm going to tell you how to get there. 
If you want to be first, I'm going to give you some instructions. I'm going to tell you what you must do to get ahead. So he gives them these instructions. This is a strategy for life. It's better than any business strategy you'll get at a business conference. It's better than any marriage strategy you're going to get at a marriage conference. This is God saying, if you want, if you want this outcome later, you've got to do this now. So if you want to be first later, you must now do this. Check it out, Mark 9.35. Whoever wants to be first, that's the later outcome, must now take last place and be the servant of everyone else. If you want to be first, you have to take last place. Now, that sounds really wonderful. Sounds Christian. Sounds altruistic. And it definitely sounds like something that Jesus would say. But can I just tell you, just to be real, within my heart, there's a little bit of pushback against that. There's a little bit of pushback on the inside that goes, yeah, but is that really the way the world works? Because I know a lot of successful people that I don't think they got there that way. Like, I know a lot of people who have nice titles after their names that didn't get there because they were serving everybody else. I know a lot of people who have a lot of dollars in their bank account who didn't get there because they were in the service of everybody else and trying to, trying to put others first. I know a lot of people who are successful because they scratched and clawed their way up the corporate ladder. They were ruthless. I know people who got, their, who, who got great positions just because they're brilliant. It wasn't because they were in it, you know, it wasn't because they were serving others. It was just because they had great intellect. Or I know people who, who got into the top of the ladder just because they have great connections. They were born in the right family or have the right friends. So there is a little bit of pushback when it comes to the idea of getting ahead by serving but Jesus is going to explain that in Mark 10. Check this out in verse 42. Jesus once again calls the disciples together and says, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. So here's what's important. Jesus is saying, you have seen, you have witnessed, you have been around one kind of success. Or at least you've been around what the world calls success. But I'm going to talk to you about a different kind of success. He's like, there is success like the world views it, but I'm going to talk to you about a different path and a different kind of success. And I'm here to tell you, I believe in my heart of hearts that it is super important that we get the fact that what our world calls success does not deliver what it advertises. I mean, you think about the people that we would, you know, half the things that we think would make us happy, there are plenty of people in this world who have those that should be able to teach us by their lifestyles and by their words, they should be able to teach us that having those things would not make, would not make us happy, would not make us feel lasting significance. And Jesus is saying, you've seen success where people spend their life trying to, trying to get a, a title and a position, and they hold it over people, and they keep people down. They use, their, they use their success to push people down instead of lift people up. You've seen that, but with you, I want you to have a different kind of success. And the kind of success I want you to have is going to be all about lifting people up. I want you to have a better kind of success. So we're thinking about this, two different kinds of success. Jesus wants us to have a better one. I want to ask you to think this through. I want you to imagine that I invite you out to lunch. Right? Say, hey, let's go out to lunch. I want to get to know you a little better. I want to have a conversation with you. And, and, uh, and my treat, I'll take you someplace real nice. We'll go to a real nice restaurant. And, uh, and I'll just, you know, I'll pick up the tab. Right? And so we go. We have this, this great lunch, you know, nice restaurant. And, and we're talking, have a great conversation. And then the check comes. And when the check comes, you know, I reach into my pocket. I grab a nice, crisp $100 bill. Right? And I put it on the table. And I say to the waiter, I say, hey, you know, your service was exceptional, and I'm feeling pretty generous, so, um, yeah, you just keep the change, right? So I put that on the table, and you say, uh, Jonathan, what is that? I say, well, it's a $100 bill. I say, well, Jonathan, 
Whose picture is that? Well, it's my picture. It's my money. It ought to be my picture. Right? We'll say, well, well, Jonathan, there's not even anything printed on the back of that. Right? Say, well, I, I don't understand. What are you trying to tell me? Well, I'm trying to tell you, I don't think this is going to cover the tab. I don't think this is going to cover lunch. Right? All right, well, it's kind of an expensive lunch, but I've got more where that came from. You know? As a matter of fact, I have a whole drawer full of this stuff at home, and I, I don't like to brag, but I'm pretty much set for life. I've booked a cruise. I just am planning on buying my wife a you know, three-carat diamond, and we have now arrived, right? You would say, Jonathan, you're an idiot, right? That's counterfeit, right? We have a name for it, fake money. We, you, know, you, can get, you can go to prison. <laughs> you can get in some major trouble for trying to pass fake money, right? I say, well, well, now wait a minute. What makes your money any better than mine? I mean, it's both pieces are just paper, right? As a matter of fact, I think my money's better looking than yours, right? It's a nice picture on the front. It's got the nice dollar signs. This is definitely more now when it comes to design. I have my favorite graphic designer put this together. And so I don't understand why you think your money's any more valuable than mine. And if, if I fought that with you long enough, you would eventually have to try to knock some sense into me by saying, Jonathan, the money in your wallet is only as valuable as the entity that validates it. The, the, little, the pieces of paper that you carry around, they're only as valuable as the entity that is going to vouch for that value. And the only way they can vouch for that value is to have resources to cover it. How, how, how many times have we watched on the world economic scene when a, when a country prints a lot of money, but their resources goes down and eventually the money that they print isn't worth anything? And you say, no, you, 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 and, and this is the, it's the same way with success in our life. Please understand, the success in your life is only as genuine as the person backing it. It's only as genuine as the person who backs it. See, I told you there's two different kinds of success, right? There's success like the world is used to, and then there's the kind of success God wants us to have. And I told you earlier, I said, a lot of times the success that the world points to is empty. And it's because, like counterfeit, it is not what it advertises itself to be. See, that's why you get in trouble with counterfeit. That's why you can, you know, get into some legal hot water, is because it is not what it advertises itself to be. And that is what this world's view of success is as well. See, God is the one who has the ability to back it. See, for God followers, this should be a slow pitch. If you're like me and you believe that God created the universe in which we live and you believe that God supports and sustains it and you believe that God supports and sustains you and has the best plans for you and wants the best for you, then if you believe all of that, then the only person who we should be concerned about validating our success is God because he has the resources to cover it. If God gives us a position or if God gives us success or if God gives us significance, he has the ability to back it, which is why I think Jesus is saying it's more important to serve, to lift others up because that's the way we move forward with God. I want to ask you a question. I don't, want to get, I don't want to get too direct here because I appreciate your ability to give me the license to ask this question. But what is it that you're counting on to validate your success in life? You know we live in a culture right now where I think a lot of people are expecting their workplace to validate their success. You know what the two, two main reasons are that people leave their companies? Did you know money's neither of them? Pay is not on the top two reasons that people leave their company. Number two reason, 
Can't get along with somebody. Having conflict with somebody I work with or can't get along with the boss. Number one reason, I don't feel recognized. I don't, I don't feel like my achievements are spoken to. I don't feel like people are telling me what role I play in the company and why it's important. I don't feel like I get a good attaboy when I do something well. Now, believe me, I'm all about, right? I, I think we should pay attention to that research. I think it's valuable from a business perspective, and I'm all about recognizing staff members and recognizing people for their accomplishments and for their achievements, but can I tell you it is a symptom of a culture that has come to expect that the workplace needs to validate their success. If I'm not getting an attaboy at work, if I'm not getting somebody telling me why I'm successful, if I'm not having somebody explain to me my, bigger, my, my, my role in the bigger picture, if I don't have those things, then I can't believe that I'm a success because I'm waiting for the workplace to validate it for me. I'm waiting for them to rubber stamp me and say, yes, you're good. Some of us in this room, we're expecting our spouse to validate our success. And our emotional temperament goes up and down with our spouse's mood. So if our spouse is up, we're up. If our spouse is in a funk, we're in a funk. If our spouse is really upset, then we're really upset. Why? Because we're expecting them to validate that we're a success as a spouse, as a person, you name it. Which, by the way, that's a lot of responsibility to put on your spouse. And there's, I mean, and those are some main ones. There's some real weirdness going on out there. I think there's even some people, and this is on the fringe, but I think there's some, even some people out there who expect social media to validate their success, right? For the love of Pete, I was on Facebook the other day, and um, I, I don't get on Facebook for a lot of things other than to just publish content, so I don't do the news feed thing a whole lot, but I was, I was looking through my news feed the other day, and a friend that I went to college with posted on there that he was getting off Facebook, right? Well, I thought that was interesting, and I always am interested to see what somebody's saying about that. You know, that now we even have a term for it, a Facebook fast. It's a crazy world, but um, it's a, well, I'm going on a Facebook fast for two months, he says. And, and, you know, I thought, well, good for him, until I read why he's going on a two-month sabbatical from Facebook. He's leaving Facebook because he feels like he doesn't get enough likes, shares, and comments <laughs> on his posts. I just can't even believe that's for real. I, I need to send this fellow student a personal letter of spiritual encouragement. Can you believe how depressing it would be to live a life where you expect people on Facebook to validate your success in life? That is the sign, please hear me. That is the sign of a culture who has quit looking to God to validate our success. It is an epidemic problem in our culture. We don't look to God. We don't, we, it, because God is not a useful hypothesis for our culture, we've, we've gotten out of the habit of looking to God and saying, God, are you happy with this? Are you happy with me? Is what I'm doing significant to you? Am I a success to you? We're so used to looking at all the other inputs and all the other sensor data to try to figure out if we're making it and we're depressed and it makes sense because we're getting all sorts of mixed answers and we don't even really know what success looks like. And, and, and it is at that moment where God calls us to us, just like Jesus sat down and taught the disciples and said, look, if you want to be successful, it's not that hard. Let me tell you how to do it. You do it by serving. Your success is only as real as the person validating it. I want to take you to 1 Peter 5, 6, where the Bible says, Humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, He will lift you up in honor. 
I said, God is who needs to validate our success. The Bible says if we humble ourselves under him, at the right time, he will validate us. At the right time, he will, he will substantiate and back our success. At the right time, he will lift us up in honor. There's a little bit of that that I struggle with. Because I'm ADD and I have all the impatience that comes for the ride with ADD. Right? I do not like waiting. I, can't, I probably can't even say that in strong enough terms. I cannot stand waiting. And I don't know if I have anybody in this room who can identify with this quirk that I have, but if I'm waiting on something that can be checked on, right? Like if it's on a website and you can reload the page and see if something has happened to it, right? I become OCD overnight, right? I just check, 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 see what's going on. Check. I drive my wife and everybody else in my life crazy checking on things while I'm waiting for them. You know, if I'm waiting for an email, I'm on that inbox all the time. Have they sent it? Have they sent it? My wife's like, Jonathan, it's going to buzz your phone when they email you. I know, but I got to check it. I got to check and see if it's come. You know, I don't, I don't do well with waiting. But there is one thing that we need to learn to wait for. We need to learn to wait for God to elevate us at the appropriate time. Did you know if you're an employer in this room or if you're a boss or you're somebody who works with promotions and hiring and firing, did you know one of the most benevolent things you can do for your employees is not to promote them at the wrong time? Not to promote them before they're ready. There's always a right moment. And one of the most benevolent things you can do as a leader is to wait for the right moment to make that promotion. And that's the way God works. He will not promote you before you're ready and he will not promote you before the situation is ready for you. And so we've got to be willing to wait. The Bible says that at the right time, God will lift us up in honor. And then the other thing the Bible says is that the way we get there is to humble ourselves. Well, now, one of the things that really frustrates me when I listen to other, other preachers preach, a lot, you know, I, a lot of things I love to hear preachers do, every once in a while there's something a preacher does that really gets on my nerves. And one of those things is when a preacher gives you a concept like humble yourself, um, but then because it's sort of an abstract concept, they don't give you any nuts and bolts, really ideas for what that means or how you're going to implement that. So I want to spend the rest of our time together giving you a real common sense viewpoint of what uh, Jesus is trying to teach us here when he talks to us about humbling ourselves. I want to read this to you from Mark 10, starting in verse 42, and I want you to pay attention to all of the work-related or job-related or task-related words here. You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. That's a work-related word. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave. Once again, task-related, work-related, of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Okay, so notice, notice all the work cues there. Now, there are two different kinds of people in this world. This is very key that you understand. If you're in the business world, and like I said earlier, if you do hiring and firing and you're interviewing people and sifting through resumes, you will come across these two kinds of people. If you're dating, these are the two kinds of people you have to choose from. And more importantly, you are one of these two kinds of people. There are position people and product people. Now, position people, their life is all about achieving, securing, and defending a specific position or a specific title. It's all about, it's all about the, the, the specific task set that they've been assigned to, and it's about the prestige or the honor or just the feelings that come along with having that specific task set. So these people are very title aware. 
right? You do, not, you do not have this person within your company and promote them without giving them a specific title. It will drive them nuts. They want to know what is my title, right? They need it for their business cards, right? They want to know what, what is the specific thing that I do. Now, these people are extremely territorial, right? And we know this because if you ever do anything that could ever be misconstrued as being you doing some of their job, they will let you know and they will let you know in a hurry, right? No, that's my job, right? I'm very territorial because they're about the position. Now, product people are very different. Product people are all about the work. They're all about, the, they're all about creativity. It's about the work that they produce. It's about the, the product that their work achieves, right? Position is not so important to them. As a matter of fact, for a position person, if, if, for, the, for the person who's all about the title, the work, what they produce, their creativity, all that, it's just a vehicle to the next promotion. It's just a vehicle to the next position. So if you catch them at any point in time, they're always thinking about the next position. How do I get to the next level in the job? How do I get to the next promotion? How do I get to the next job? How do I get to a new position with new honors and a, and a new title? Now, a product person, on the other hand, views their title as a vehicle to the next body of work. Right? They're not so concerned about the verbiage of the title or the verbiage of the position. That's not the important thing. They view their position as the thing that gives them the opportunity to be creative. They view their position as the thing that gives them the chance to do something cool. Right? And what Jesus is telling us is, you, you're going to have to, if you want to move ahead, you're going to have to be a product person. You're going to have to be all about the work. Instead of looking around and going, who's got that job, and who's got that job, and who's got that position, and where do I rank, and where do I belong, and when am I going to have that promotion, and when am I going to get where I want to be? A, a product person, this is what Jesus is trying to teach us, they just look straight ahead of them, and they do the work that's assigned. They do the work that's in front of them. And Jesus can elevate that kind of person. I worked once at a company where the, the head of the, the division that I was at had previously worked hiring and firing top-level executives. And uh, he told me, he said, you know, I had two, two tests that I used when I hired top-level executives. He said, one is if I'm promoting them, the other is if I'm hiring one. He said, one's called the business card test, and the other's called the dirty carpet test. And I said, well, I'd really like to know what those are. So he explains it to me. He says, if I'm promoting somebody, I have a meeting with them, they come in, I explain to them the new responsibilities, how we're going to make the transition, what their new pay scale is going to be, all that. And then he said, you know, I leave. And I watch how long it takes them to order new business cards. He said, if they order new business cards within that 24 hours, I know I've got a problem. He said, but if it takes them a week to order new business cards, one of two things is happening. Either... They're just very forgetful. And he said, if I'm promoting them, I'm probably promoting them for a reason, so that's probably not it. He said, or they're so preoccupied with getting the job done that they're not that worried about their title being right on their business card. And he said, I know if that's the case, we made a good, we made a good decision. He said, now if I'm hiring somebody, I have a different procedure. He said, you know what, the executive offices, they're nice, you know, they're, they're very well, well appointed, and one of the things we have in there is real plants, you know, not rubber plants, they're real plants, they have dirt in the bottom of the, of the pots. And he said, I'll go to one of those plant pots and I'll kick it and I'll make dirt come out around, all, all around it. And he said, I will go tell the facilities people not to vacuum it up. I said, don't you vacuum up that dirt. And he said, one of two things is going to happen. Either that employee is eventually going to start complaining to everybody around them about the facilities people not vacuuming up the dirt around their plant, or they're going to start going around asking people where the vacuums are stored. And he said, I'll immediately know whether I made a good hire. 
Because he said, if that person's going around complaining to everybody because the floor is not getting vacuumed, then I know I've made a... And basically, he's saying, if that happens, I know I've hired a position person. And I know that's what they're about. He said, but if I, if I hired somebody who's going looking for vacuum cleaners, then I know I hired a product person. I know I hired somebody who's going to produce because they're not going to let a little dirt on the carpet stand between them and the work they need to do. They're just going to fix it. And those are the kind of people that move ahead. They don't just move ahead in work. Jesus is saying that kind of person just moves flat moves ahead in life. So what makes the difference between a, a product person and a position person? You know that the Bible says it's faith. Look at this in Hebrews 11. The Bible says it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Okay, so we're talking about pleasing God, which, by the way, that is our path to significance, right? I mean, if you're, if you're a God follower and you've had kind of that emptiness on the inside, feeling like you're not able to accomplish what you want to accomplish and your dreams are not being fulfilled, maybe what you're dealing with is that longing inside that God has put in your heart to, to please him. Maybe what will really trip the sensor for you on experiencing lasting significance is to please God. And the Bible says, here's how you do it. Here's how you please God. You please God with faith. And that means that anybody who wants to come to God must believe first that he exists. Now, that's a bridge too far for some, but it's very hard to please somebody that you don't think exists. And number two, you have to believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. There's a good verse that kind of parallels that. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but he favors the humble. Now, what does it mean when the Bible says God opposes the proud? Is this just God's way of punishing somebody, making them feel bad about their pride? And then it says God favors the humble. Does that mean God has favorites? Well, I do believe God shows favor to some people over others. And I think this is probably the easiest way to determine why. But let's talk for a minute about why this is true. This October, we'll have Judgment House again. We have Judgment House every year, right? Judgment House is a huge ministry in our church. It's a walk-through drama presentation. We present eternal realities to individuals in the best way we know how to dramatically, and we have a ton of volunteers who are involved in that process, every single one of them hugely valuable to us. But we have a special team of volunteers, and these are the ones every year I keep my eye on because I always think this is a very interesting group of people, right? We have a group of volunteers that we call the WIT team. Anybody who's been on the WIT team, what does WIT stand for? I heard it somewhere. Whatever it takes. That's what WIT stands for. Whatever it takes. And basically, when you sign up for the WIT team, it means you're going to show up when it's time for Judgment House. And when you show up, you're basically saying, I have no preconceived notions of what I'm going to do. I, I, I don't have an agenda. Uh, I, all I'm doing is showing up as an able-bodied person saying, whatever it takes to help be a part of this, whatever it takes to, for us to be able to do this together as a team, I'm willing to do that. Whether I have to learn somebody's lines and, and, and hop into a scene real quick or whether I have to unclog a toilet doesn't really matter because I just want to help produce the product. I want to be a part of something big, and whatever it takes, that's what I'm going to do. In the business world, if you hire people, and especially if you're somebody who hires top talent, you know one of the biggest challenges in the world is finding somebody who understands that when you hire them, their number one job in the first days at their company is to figure out where they fit. But some people, especially top talent, come in already assuming they know where they fit. They come in with an agenda. They come in with, with a, a feeling already of success, and they think they're going to take you to a different level of success. They've got a view of how they're going to mold and shape where you're going, and, and you want to say, wait a minute, this isn't your organization. You're going to have to fit into what we do here. And, and you're trying to explain to them, what I need for you to do is, is this, but then sometimes it's very difficult for them to adopt that because, as I said, they came in, they already had preconceived notions of, of what they were going to do. We, when you're hiring, you want somebody who comes in and says, whatever it takes. I'm going to bring my 
gifts and my talents and everything that I have to the table, and I'm just going to open it wide open, and I'm going to say to my boss, hey, what do you need? Whatever it takes, anything you want to put on my plate, that's what I'm willing to do. If you have that kind of employee, you can promote them, and that can word is very important. I can promote somebody who comes to me and says, whatever it takes, because when a position comes open, I know they've already said they're open to that. They've said they're open to anything. So if there's a position comes open and I believe they can handle it, I can move them to that position. If they came with an agenda, I'm going to continue having meetings with that person over and over again to keep reminding them that it's not their agenda that matters. It's the agenda that drives forward this organization. And so I think what God is saying when it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, I think what God is saying is when somebody comes to him with a whatever it takes attitude, God just keeps promoting and promoting and promoting and he takes them up another level and another level because he can because they've come to him and said I'll do whatever it takes so when when God has a position open up he can move them to that position but when a person comes to God with an agenda when a person comes to God and says this is how success is going to go in my life this is what it's going to look like for me to succeed this is these are my dreams and it has to be this or nothing God continues to have to have meetings with us to sit us down and to say you know Jonathan this isn't your organization this isn't your planet I have an idea for how things are going to go. I need to know, are you willing to be a part of that? God is waiting for people who come to him and say, whatever it takes. But then again, in doing that, we're just following his example, right? The Bible says, even Jesus came not to be served, but to serve others. I cannot think of a bigger whatever it takes moment than when Jesus Christ stretched out his arms and gave his life for us on that cross. I mean, to think about the fact that it took that to establish the potential for a relationship with us. And that Jesus said, you know, whatever it takes. I mean, when you have that impression in your head of, of whatever vision it is that you have of Jesus on the cross, I think all of us have this different picture in our head of what it must have been like. But when you have that impression of your head of what Jesus must have been like on the cross, you remember that those arms outstretched was him saying, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. And then he calls us to that kind of life. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. What is he saying? He's saying, if you want to be successful, you are at some point going to have to live a life where you surrender control and you surrender your agenda and you just say, God, you know what my dream is? My dream is for you to take me where I need to be and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get there. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the fact that you want success for us, that you want us to experience significance, but not the kind of significance that this world is hung up on. You want us to experience true and lasting and eternal significance that you're willing to back with your resources. So Father, we thank you for that. And we just ask you to bless these next couple moments. Heads are still bowed, eyes are still closed. A moment ago, I talked about Jesus dying on the cross. You know what he died on the cross for? He died on the cross to pay for the things that we've done wrong. Even the worst thing that's ever, that you've ever done, the worst thing on your rap sheet, Jesus died to pay for that. And now all, all that stands between you and a relationship with him is for you to reach out to him and say, yes, I want to have a relationship with you. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say the words to a very simple prayer. My words aren't important. What's important is whether or not this accurately reflects what's happening in your heart. But as I say this, you can repeat this silently with me in your head. You can say this to God, and it'll be settled once and for all. Ready? Here we go. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you died for me. I know I do wrong things, 
I know I can't get to heaven on my own. Today I accept your free gift of heaven and forgiveness. I believe in you, Jesus. In your name, amen. All right, everybody look this way just for a second. If you just prayed that prayer, you just made the biggest decision in your life. We want to help you with that. We prepared a packet of materials with a DVD and a few other resources in it we'd like to give you. So if you'll take that Talk to Us card that you received when you came in, check the box that says, I prayed with Mark to receive Christ. It's all right. My middle name's Mark. Take it to guest services in the foyer, and they'll give you that packet. Thank you so much. Next week, we continue on with Find Your Life.